Let's do this. I don't like this lighting, man. Should I? Should I... You look great, buddy. You look Thanks. awesome. Uh, people are only going to stare at the drink. Right, because it's purple. Um, 48 years with a singular focus on fear. 48 years from the age of 13. I don't want to tell anyone how old you are, but with simple math, people could figure that out. Hold on a sec. Is that is 48 to now? Is is 13 to night to 2020? 48. I think your math's off. Uh, if you were born in 1960, correct. That would be from 1973 to now. Okay, my math is horrible, but I, it's just. It, but also, so just, let me let me tell you how I do it. Ni- 1973 to 2000 is 27 years. And then 2000 to 2021 is 21 years. 27 plus 21 is 48. How many years ago was 1973? 47. Really? Your phone just does that? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's an Apple device. Okay. So I was wrong. I was off a year. 47 years. Minimum minimum 47 years. And I apologize because I didn't realize... You're only off a year. I wouldn't have said shit. I just that just blew my mind that you said that. Like it just just seems like forever. It's a total theme of all my guests. I blow all their minds. Nice. You um, it's an understatement to say you're a fear management expert, a self-defense expert, a safety mindset educator based on physiology and psychology. And then I'll just throw this in there, host of the No Fear podcast. My, my, I never know what I'm going to talk to people about because I have six pages of notes, but I woke up this morning and after watching your podcast with Bedros, the empire podcast, you said something that really like resonated with me personally. You basically said that at 25, you wanted to start a business. You wanted to open your own gym and your wife at the time, you know, planted some self-doubt in your head. She said something like, really? Or how are you going to do that? Or yeah. say that, say that again. Tony. Oh, yeah. She said, you know, how are you going to, it was like, how are you going to do that? Like total, like incredulous. It's like, it would be like if, if you said, you know, you're going to play in the NBA and people are going to look at you. How are you, how are you going to do that? Um, I, I've had three three partners th- since I um, since I've been like twenty uh, in the film space. People that I worked very closely with, people that I went on every single shoot with, and all three of those relationships ended because they wanted to um, one they didn't have their work and their and their life integrated, meaning they had them compartmentalized. And I don't do that. Like I just work that, or I just live. It just is my life, you know, holding the camera, video editing. And the second thing is, is they wanted to argue my limitations. So like I would say, Hey, let's make a movie. And then they would start questioning. Um, do you know how to do that? And, and, and all three of those relationships ended because of that. Um, and I just thought that that was fascinating that you experienced that too, that you don't want to be around people. There's, there's a, a Taoist saying, argue your limitations and they're yours. Right. And, 
And I sure as hell don't need anyone around me arguing my limitations. And then I think about the two probably most influential people in my life, my wife and my mom, and they always got behind my, my, <laughs> my harebrained ideas. Um, was that your first time experiencing that? Someone who is going to um, be no. an aunt? No. No, no. Uh, it, but it was my, it was profound because I was married and it was, it was a, it was a dream of mine. And actually, as she said it, I was looking at her. I didn't answer. I didn't argue. I didn't go, well, I'll do this. But as she said that, I said to myself, we're not going to make it. I knew we're getting divorced. Like when, when as she said that, which is crazy. It was like that. It was it was so weird. It was almost like if um, if you had you know you, you you've worked in, in media, so it was like if you had a live earpiece and the producers talking to you, right? So so anyone who's like listening to this, if you never had that, you know, you have an earpiece in your head, and and someone says, "Ask him about this," and it's not your thought, but suddenly you're going, "So what happened with you know?" And uh, and she goes, well, "How are you going to do that?" But it was just the tone. It wasn't. It wasn't, how are we going to do that? Like, you got, yeah, hopefully everyone understands. It was, it was this really surreal moment. But, but I'd had that before, man. Um, uh, and this is the most profound thing, is I had that voice all my life. That was what fascinated me with, I'm trying to understand fear, but not from a, a uh, um, like, a, like, the, like a, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't thinking of oh, become a psychiatrist or a psychologist or, or it was just me as a kid. I always had that doubt. I always had that. And it was weird. It was like, I'm going to do that. And then how are you going to do that? You know, I'm going to, Oh, I, I want to play football. What if, what if this happens? It was always as negative and it impacted how much I enjoy, I enjoyed the, the, um, like I would fall in love with an idea, but if I came time to, to uh, play, compete, I hated that. And I didn't, you know, some people might be thinking, oh, that's self-sabotage. Everyone has that at some point for this or that. But I was out there, whether it was skiing or football or baseball or whatever, I was out there. You would never know. Uh, you would never know that inside just riddled with self-doubt. And I think, you know, as we, decades later, when I was teaching my no fear program uh, and whenever I do it and I talk about those, those moments that resonates with most people, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't think about this is when we read the books on flow and, and flow state and, and uh, you know, all the, the great musicians and athletes and artists, they don't represent the general populace, they're the anomalies, they're the fucking unicorns. So I would always joke, you know, like when Anthony Robbins would interview uh, uh, um, Quincy Jones and Quincy Jones would say, Anthony, help me so much. Quincy Jones is already Quincy Jones for decades before he met Anthony Robbins. So, you know, like, you know, if you like the, the guy who's training Mike Tyson for his, his fight right now is going, yeah, I trained Tyson. Mike Tyson was already Mike Tyson before you got him. So there's, there's a real uh, uh, disconnect. And I, and I would always see this, even at a young age, I go, like that guy was already going to be, you know, that special 
that special person, you know. So so I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but but the uh, I, I think it's interesting. I think we needed we needed a uh, uh, an approach to managing fear for the the common man. I'm allowed to say man, person, human, common person uh, um, in the world because. I've met, you know, that, that my career has taken me working with, you know, tier one units and, and all over the, all over the place. Um, I have met, and I, and I tell the story almost in every podcast, just to illustrate this point where at one time down at Fort Bragg, where I got there a little bit early, uh, went and had my meeting. It was a Saturday afternoon. I'm there with two of the guys from, from this particular unit that I'm working with. And one of them says, Hey, you want to go jumping later? And I'm like, like, uh, and I go like this, I go like, like this, like up and down. And he goes, no, no, like skydiving. I said, I know, I know what you mean. And now I'm not interested. He said, like, were you scared? I said, well, I'd, I'm not a fan of jumping out of airplanes. I'm not a, you know, he goes, oh, aren't you Mr. Fear Management with air quotes? And I said, yeah, I'm managing my fear by not jumping out of the airplane. And he laughs like you just laugh, but the guy beside him laughs a very nervous laugh. And me as a person who studies uh, body language and human nature. That was the laugh of a guy that was with me, but he was in the same unit, which means he knows how to skydive. He's just afraid of skydiving and he does it. That's what I've always, that's my whole life is managing fear. There's lots of things in life that we need to do afraid. And if you, and if you're, you know, like the, the idea of fear triggers a movie in your mind. That movie in your mind has you as the victim or it has you as like an action hero. But that movie in your mind creates a moment of doubt. And doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation becomes procrastination. So when you have fear as a writer, you don't write. If you have fear as, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, for your case, fear as a lover, uh, uh, you know, or fear as a, a dad or fear as an entrepreneur, this creates procrastination. Have you finished that project? Did you get that done? Is your book almost done? What is it? You're like, man, I just can't. And you feel the onion in sphere. My connection, because I, I, I love self-defense, and I found in, when I studied martial arts, it was a way to, um, the fear I had as an athlete growing up. So when you said 47 years, I've actually been dealing with this, this battle um, I'm all over the place right now. Do you remember Dan Millman, gymnast? Uh, uh, but he wrote the gate, uh, the, the the way that yes, 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 yeah, yep, yep. And you're not all over the place. You're killing it. This is good. Um, way of the peaceful warrior. Great, great book. But years later, he said somewhere else. I got this quote. He said, "When you face just one op opponent, when you face just one opponent, and you doubt yourself, you're outnumbered." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Uh, you know, like that is so good. And that's that self doubt. And that could be. You know, oh, I have to defend myself. I got to protect myself. I got to be a courageous bystander. And then your head starts going, this guy's going to shoot you. This guy's going to kick your ass. This guy's going to punch you out. And you shirk away from that in initial inspiration, right? Uh, and it could be, hey, I want to start a business. How are you going to do that? And then, you know, you either listen to that voice or the person who said that uh, was a partner in your life that had that much. Uh, push or or influence over you, but you know the 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 initial fight. I always ask people when we're doing our 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 personal defense or our instructor course, whatever it is. I go, where's the first place people are hit? And there's always some, uh, you know, funny guy in the class who goes in the face, in the head, and I go, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
that's the first place most people think they're hit, but the first place people are hit is their emotional system. Every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before the attack. So anytime you've been screwed in business or a relationship didn't work out, while you still had to go through the breakup and the, all that shit, when the dust settled, Sebi, you went, you know, I knew that wasn't going to work out with that guy or that gal. I knew that guy was going to fuck me or whatever because, and you know, if you're romantic, it's because you're trying to change it or otherwise, you know, whatever. But but I've been dealing with this, you know, this all, this is a 15 minute answer to, have you ever heard that before? Uh, yeah, that's the crazy thing is, is I, I had this like unsolicited narration with everything I did. And I was freaking nervous, but the, the irony of it all is that I remember once um, we were playing baseball. I was about 14 or 15 years old. A bunch of me, me and my friends were playing baseball and a bunch of like 17, 18 year old kids. And there's a huge difference in size and, and, and strength and confidence, you know, when you're 15 versus 17, becoming 18. And this group of 17 year olds uh, uh, comes uh, to this, this playground and we're just playing ball and, and they go, Hey, get off the field. We're playing. And we're like, you know, <laughs> you know, there's this kid's 13, this guy's 14, I'm 15. And I'm standing there. I wish I don't have a baseball bat here, but I'm standing there. The, the, uh, it, there was no, uh, uh, warriors play that movie hadn't started, hadn't, this is, you know, in the seventies and all the kids are here and they start like, like encroaching on us, like, uh, uh, you, you know, just like that movie. And everyone's got baseball bats, right? And I'm so fucking nervous. I'm not making eye contact. I'm like looking around going, fuck, fuck. Like, we should just leave. And these guys are going, get off the field, get off the field. And one of one of my, my buddies back then is going, we were here first doing that whole 15-year-old arguing with it. And I've, I've got this bat in my hand. And I'm so nervous, pretending this is the bat that I just start kicking it just to do something. And I'm like lost in thought going, oh, fuck, man, let's just leave. And I kick it and I kick it too hard because I'm nervous and it pops up and I spin it, you know, like, and I spin it like this and then I, I put it down on the ground. I'm so fucking nervous. And I do that once and they see that and they read that as I'm getting ready to just split some fucking heads. And I hear one of the guys go, guys, uh, and he's looking at me, he goes, uh, he goes, let's just get out of here. Let's let them play. And I like, I knew what had happened there. And it was like, like literally if they had gone boo, I'd have fallen over. Um, and it's like, what is that? And it, like in that moment, I didn't realize it now I can explain what was happening is that gesture created the movie in his mind that I was going to beat the shit out of them with my baseball bat. It just, I looked too cool and too ready. Here I am fucking kicking a bat, spinning it like a fucking cheerleader. Anyways, um, it, it, the whole mindset thing uh, fascinated me. And when I had the, the, the responsibility to begin teaching self-defense, even though I didn't know what I was doing, so I was just, I was trusting my instincts and my intuition. And, and I was, I had all these, these kids that I was teaching you know, I had two jobs working for my dad during the day. And then seven days a week, I was teaching self-defense. And uh, I would talk to each one of these kids. I remember like conversations where 
like a 17 year old kid would come into me. I'm like in my twenties now and go, Hey, uh, coach Blauer, can we go over what role emotions play during uh self defense? Like who has those conversations? Like that was, that was kind of the incubator that I was, that I was creating. And I didn't know, I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't go, Oh, uh, um, you know, 20 years later, I'm going to develop the no fear program and teach people that if you, you know, change your relationship with fear, you can change your life. Um, everything that I, everything that I, you know, I've known you for 10 years and I've seen you in my mind, I had this, um, perception of what you taught, what you were about. But since I was preparing for the podcast, everything that you said, I could apply to my life and it had nothing to do with self-defense. Yeah. It, was cra- it was crazy. It was like, oh my God. Uh, one of the classic examples is this people used to would say to me uh, in a previous lifetime, they would say, man, you have some amazing questions. How do you, how do you come up with those questions? And my response was always, oh, I just, if I feel a question bubbling up from the bottom when I'm interviewing someone and I don't want to ask it, that's the question you should ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a real simple litmus test. And then as I hear you talk, yeah, I'm afraid to ask the question. So I should, that's the direction I should go. Here's an interesting thing. In in um, in all our courses, we show a clip of get from Get Carter, uh, the Stallone movie where he fights in the elevator, and and the scene starts off. It's really well done. It starts off. He steps in the elevator. You can see he's he's fried. He's burned out. He's exhausted. And the two bad guys, you know, come in there. They grab the elevator. It's really well shot. And they come in there. And uh, one of the guys, I forget the actor's name, opens his jacket. And you see he's got a 357 magnum. And immediately, you know, you hear him talking, going, uh, hey, man, what's up? You know, like, he's the big dog. He gets the girl. Sorry about that. And then all of a sudden, the guy pulls the gun out and starts pulling the trigger. And, of course, you know it's not the end of the movie and Stallone's not going to get shot. It's an action movie. Um, But it's well cut that you go, oh, you don't know that he's visualizing this. And then it cuts back to the guy still talking and the gun still in his waistband. And then, and then the bad guy says, John says, you know, uh, hey, you remember Peter, don't you? And there's like his little henchman there going, sneering at him. And then the next cut is Stallone, you know, strangling him from behind. And the guy pulls out the gun and sticks it to his head. And I play this to people and I go, and I, I love using the acronym F-E-A-R, false expectations appearing real. False expectations appearing real is when you're visualizing a future event that debilitates you in the present. Doesn't matter what it is. Again, it doesn't matter what it is. Should I call this person? Should I ask this question? Should I defend myself? Should I quit this job? Should I start this job? Doubt becomes hesitation. Hesitation becomes procrastination. Procrastination becomes fixation. If you don't have the self-awareness to to unfuck yourself during that domino effect, that becomes non-clinical anxiety. And in some people, anxiety. Non-clinical anxiety is like, oh, fuck, what's the matter with you? Like, you know, it's funny. I mean, you know my wife very well. And uh, she she doesn't have this type of self-awareness. And a lot of people don't. And, and uh, where I can look at her two days before she knows what's bothering her, not knowing what's bothering her, and say, hey, are you okay? The way she's biting her lip or the look in her eyes, because body language is 60% of communication. But everyone listening to this, how many times has somebody said to you or said to somebody, hey, was everything okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, why? And you can just see it the energetically manifesting in their body. And then a day later, a week later, they're going, Hey, I've been meaning to talk to you about this, or I got this thing and I don't know how to deal with it. Right. So 
following that domino, doubt becomes hesitation, hesitation, procrastination, fixation, non-clinical anxiety. All of that is 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 eating up time. The only the only element in life that we can't regenerate, right? Everything else you can almost fix, but you can't regenerate time. So if if you've got a a very specific uh, 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 amount of time to solve a problem, understanding how to manage fear changes everything. But you can't do that if you don't have self awareness, because self awareness is that moment when you go, "What am I doing, wasting all this time?" But if you can't peel the onion, it seems obvious to some people. But if you can't peel the onion, that that hesitation is 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 still going to be there. Um, but I, f- I feel like I was about to tell you something else because you you asked uh, a, a question. I kind of I kind of lost it here. But the uh, the the you know I'll give an example where I was I was training a fighter and and. You know, part of this is I'm using uh, fight examples, but I can use any type of example in, in what you're doing. When you develop that self-awareness to go, why why am I hesitating here? When you find that out, it doesn't mean the fear disappears. It just means now you understand what it is and you can strategically navigate that. So, you know, if you're, if you're uh, mountain biking, Right. And you're coming down. If you're looking at the rocks or looking at the trail, that could impact whether you fall or not. Right. So you need to look at the trail, not the rocks. Right. You get up to go golf and someone says, don't hit it in the water there. And you're thinking about the water. The ball goes to the water. That's that, like the magic of the mind. But you 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 got to look at the trail. But if you ignore the rocks, you could still fall. So you got to somehow find that balance of this is the path I need to go, but these are the obstacles or these are the dangers and these are the risks. So this isn't about being cavalier. And and, and I, I share this story of um, this kid, Sean, I was, I was, I was training and it was an amateur kickboxing match and, and the title fights are four rounds. And um, uh, it was his first, uh, not to, sorry, it was a title match and, and he was fighting for the title. And in amateur kickboxing, you only fight three rounds. And then when you go to the title, you fight for four rounds. And I say to him, like 15 minutes uh, uh, be, you know, before the fight, uh, the ring official come in, stamped his, his gloves. It's like in a, like a shitty old uh, uh, gym in isolated in Montreal, Canada. So it's like, like the bottom of like an original Rocky movie. Come on, kid, you got this, right? And we, he's there shadow boxing. He's doing all this shit, moving around. And, and I just put his gloves on and, and I like, how do you feel? How do you feel, Sean? He goes, good, coach. I'm, I'm nervous. <sighs> nervous. I said, you're supposed to be nervous. You're about to get in a fight. Guy's going to try and kick you in the face. He's going to try and knock you out. He's going to punch you. And you're going to do the same thing to him. And no matter what he looks like, it was during the uh, Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard era. I said, even if he looks at you like, like hands of stone Duran, inside his heart is racing. Inside, he's got butterflies in his stomach. Inside, he's trying to control his breathing. And the facade is, I'm going to kick your ass. But inside, he feels just like you. And he goes, thanks, coach. And he turns around and he starts shadow boxing. And I sit down kind of a little proud of myself. Like, fuck, that felt pretty good. That was a good answer. <laughs> but then, like like, um, um, like uh, you said, hey, if I'm hesitating on asking a question, maybe that's the question that needs to be asked, right? That's intuition. I always tell people, intuition whispers in your ear. But then fear goes, shut up, not now. And it's that fear that shuts it down. And if you don't have that, that ability to, again, introspect, and there's, there's, 
write this down because I don't have any notes. I got to finish my Fort Bragg parachute story. And I didn't finish the Stallone uh, um, uh, uh, metaphor on fear. So let me Damn, you're good. You're good, Tony. You're Dude, good. So, so, so get this. So I'm sitting there and, and this is probably the biggest lesson I can, I can share with you as, as, a, as, a, as a good friend of mine and every one of your listeners, uh, which is like your mother, Haley. True. So, you know, I don't even think the boys even listen to your. No, they don't. Um, and, um, but intuition whispers in your ear and fear shuts it down. And, and so we go ask, you know, we should have like, you're the, like the, that intuitive producer goes, ask him this. And you're going, fuck, no, I don't want to, don't do that. That'll change. And then it's the, it's the fear, but it's not understanding how to decode fear. And I'm going to go to the Stallone thing here because this will, this will fit better. In the Stallone video, they show him getting shot. And then they show him, the guy says, remember Peter? The next scene is him choking out Peter, the guy putting the gun. And I tell everyone, what do we see here? We go, oh, this is the perfect example, Mr. Blower, of the false expectation appearing real acronym. I go, fantastic. But what else can we learn from this? And they're like, because the next scene is, is uh, Stallone attacking the guy, charging the guy with the gun, fighting him, biting the hand, dropping the gun, elbowing Peter, taking a couple of shots, beating him up. And then leaving the elevator unscathed in a cool in a cool fight scene. And I go, here is the magic of fear if you know how to look at it. Fear will show you what could happen if you don't do the right thing. And so fear says, here's a guy with a gun, and your mind visualizes, boom, the gun coming out. Then fear, then he says, let me remember, Peter, then fear shows you this. If you don't go to the guy with the gun, he can shoot you. If you go to the wrong guy, the guy with the gun, the guy with the gun can shoot you. You have two threats. They're, you're in imminent danger, but one person is an immediate threat. If you have an unarmed person, an armed person, don't go to the wrong guy. Don't let the guy with the gun point that little hole at you. And suddenly that inspires a strategy. And so when you learn to look at fear like, like, you know, oh, you know, uh, uh, my tooth hurts. Like how many people go, I got a toothache and immediately they have their doc, their dentist on speed dial. And they go like, I know I haven't seen you in four months. I'm so excited. I've never had root canal. I'm hoping it's root canal. When can I come in? And like, what do people do when they're, when something starts to bother them in their mouth? They avoid it. They wait. And then, and then they eventually go in and the doctor says, oh, you had a popcorn kernel stuck in there. You moron. Call me earlier next time. Take these antibiotics. You should be fine. But this could have been bad. But what we do is we visualize like Stallone, the elevator scenario, but we don't look at what fear is trying to, to teach us. And it's not always right, but it becomes investigative. And that's where, you know, the fuck fear acronym, people think it's just only being cavalier and battle cry. Fuck fear, F-U-C-K is an acronym. It's an acronym for, you know, the system, face it, understand it, control it, and then K-N-O-W, know it. Um, yeah. And over the years I did begin to know, I did begin to know that voice. And actually I had to be careful, like to, to be patient, like to, to still let that fear arise instead of kind of like almost forcing it, looking for those questions to be edgy or to be provocative. Well, just, that, just, just wait, they'll come. <laughs> yeah. But that, and that's, that's wonderful self-awareness, man, because what, what you can do is, is, you know, it's like trying to be funny, trying to be funny. Sometimes like the whole table stops and goes, 
like you just interrupted us for that. Okay. Like, cause you're, 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 you're trying to replicate something and it's synthetic instead of organic. And, and you, you, you've got to trust. And that's the intuition. Like, you know, we always talk about the three eyes, instincts, intuition, and intelligence, trust your instincts, listen to your intuition. And if you, if you co-create something with those ingredients, it's probably going to be intelligent. At least it'll be authentic. You know, I want to share with you a quick story that's kind of along those lines. I was at the beach the other day. I'm with my three little boys, three, three, and five, uh, six, and my wife. And a man approaches us, and he's very hostile. And um, he's lecturing me about, about I, don't, I don't know what, just nonsense, right? And But I immediately get, like, my first instinct is my heart starts racing, and, like, am I going to kick him or punch him first? Like, that's the immediate first instinct. And then quickly, right after that, I realized, okay, he's 12 feet away, and he's not closing. He's He is taking his ground. That's where he's going to stay. He's not moving in. He's um, He's got no nothing in his pockets, no jacket. He's in shorts and a T-shirt. He's not big. Um, he I assess that he's not in better shape than me. You know, I do just super quick. Those are happening in a flash. So then, so, so I'm just chilling. I don't say a thing to him. My kids were there. I I wanted to leave the situation, but I couldn't because all my kids were sitting down on the ground, eating their snacks and drinking water. And there were a ton of other people around, but I really made that assessment that, Hey, as long as I can close the distance to him before he can get anywhere near my kids, we're fine. And then all of a sudden something happened. He moved or something. And now my wife and my kids were in between me and him. And I had to make the decision to move between them, right? Because that's instinctively what I wanted to do. But then I had this other thought, okay, if I do that, that's also an act of aggression towards him. So mm-hmm. I have to be very, very careful because if he sees me closing the distance, I don't want to trigger him to um, think that I'm being hostile towards him. And I and I just remember all of those things um, you know, going through my mind. And I basically let him vent. And my kids started laughing at him and then eventually he walked away. But, but I, it was all of those um, scenarios sort of right. running through right. my mind. Right. It was, and, like, yeah, it was like the get Carter thing where you just see things and, and so was there a question or you're sharing? Just sharing, just sharing. Yeah. Well, my sort of my point was, is that sometimes um, instead of that causing in, in your story, it causes him to engage. Sometimes it's like, okay, just take a few deep breaths. The threat may like trust your, like trust your intuition. Also, if it's not as serious, like you don't need to escalate. I used to work with disabled adults and the worst staff were the ones that would escalate. Like they would get into power struggles with people. And sometimes that's just not needed. You don't want, you know, in that movie colors with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall, Sean Penn's the young police officer who's always escalating the situations and causing the fights between the cops and the gangs. And Duvall's like, Hey man, sometimes you got to chill. Right. And, and, and it was just, I just thought it was a, 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 not a counterpoint, but a different, uh, same, same thing you're saying, but yeah. it doesn't have to escalate. So, so listen, most, you know, we have an expression, like part of our, and self- then don't, and then don't forget your parachute story. Cause yeah. I won't. Okay, cool. So, so part of, you know, so what you did is it was, was, was great because you've got this self-awareness cultivated from years of whatever, where, where you could process, where you could process that. And you trusted in that case, uh, your instincts and intuition, intuition when, when Haley got in between, I, you know, what I would do is like, you know, if Jesse gets in between, if my wife, Jesse got in between, I push her towards the bad guy and put him off balance. It gives me a chance to run <laughs> for help. Um, 
but uh, the the um, you got to trust your your instincts and intuition. And I know I know you, and I know you as a, as a, as, a, as a dad. But had you felt this person was really dangerous, your behavior would have changed. Most incidents we have an expression in our in our. Sorry, let me interrupt, Tony. Not only dangerous, but I had to keep my ego in check, right? Here's my three little boys watching. Here's this guy talking a horrendous amount of shit to me. And immediately I prioritize safety, not me telling this guy, hey, fuck off, dude. Like if it would have just been me and I didn't have kids 10 years ago, I would have told him to go fuck himself, right? Right. That is not – I had to keep that in check also. Sorry, because that's interfering with with intuition. Well, this is – but this is what I was going to say to you is that like if you had – uh, another self-defense, you know, expert on your show, and told the exact same story. Like someone would have said, "Well, you know, you should have stood here. You need to be here." And you go, like it's very, very. This is like the blueprint for handling every problem. And I was telling people, like, there is no, there is no step one, step two. It's organic and it's dynamic and it's fluid. And but what what you need to do. Is is have this big the totality of the circumstances there? Like, had your had your kids not been there or Haley not been there, you'd have done something different. But the fact that you have the self awareness to go like like I didn't like what he was saying to me, uh, but I had to rise above that, control that, and 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 do all do all this stuff. And listen. Like there's a whole- and I was ready to fight, you know, like it was like I could feel my body like I was about to do public speaking. You know what I mean? Like right. I right. felt like I got 30 pounds lighter and my feet were tingling and like- sure, your adrenaline is raging through your yeah. body. You're ready yeah. to go. It's, it's a tricky thing. Listen, you know, there, there's so much I want to say that I want to say about that. But a lot of people don't realize this is is types of confrontations are not unlimited. They're very limited. And what you can do is you could list if I said to you. Because you could ask some people, well, how many different ways can you be attacked? And you go, well, I don't know. There's like a bazillion. And how many counters are there for every attack? Well, there's a counter for every counter. So there's a, but that's not the way I look at things. I look at there's verbal assaults that can escalate. There's verbal assaults that only damage ego and pride or embarrass you. You know, what does that do to you? You know, does when that verbal assault, because a confrontation, like some stuff is just random. It's like jack in the box. Boom. It just, it just pops. And, and I, I remember um, this, this one guy at a seminar, I, I, when I said, hey, where's the first place you're hit? And people go, oh, in the face. I go, ha but seriously, emotional, psychological. And then I share the, the research and the concept around it. And this one guy puts his hand up. He says, I'm not trying to be a contrarian, but I was once uh, punched in the back of the head by a guy I didn't know. So you said, like, there's always a story. There's always a scenario. There's always. And so these are called pre-contact cues. Where you go, like, like, why didn't I, you know, like if something happened and you were, this guy was yelling at you for like three minutes, like one, one person would go, you had three minutes to get out of there. What are you doing standing? You know, and, and, you know, three minutes goes by really fast in real life. Um, and so this guy, he puts his hand up, he goes, I don't mean to be like a contrarian, but like this just happened to me where bam, I got hit back in the head. I didn't even know the guy. So. But I agree with what you're saying, Mr. Blower. I just want to like share this experience that I had. And I said, okay, well, you know, thanks for ruining my presentation by sharing that. I never relaxed. <laughs> and I go, um, but let me ask you a couple of questions because I've done this so many times. This may be the anomaly event, 
but there's usually a story. So he didn't know this guy. He goes, nope, never seen him before. Hesitation, never seen him before. He said, well, uh, you know, I, I mean, I didn't know him, but we had, uh, we had had exchanged some words prior. I go, when? He goes, well, the week before. I said, the week before at the same bar, you had words with this guy. And then you went back to that same bar and sat in a place where your back was exposed. And this guy decided he was so angry from that week that he was going to sucker punch you when he drank it. And he's like looking at me. I go, buddy, you had one week to prepare for that punch. (laughs) You know, it's so, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a whole different way to look at personal safety. I don't teach people how to fight Savon. I teach people how to not fight. I teach people how to fucking think. And, and, if I said to you, you should have stood your ground there, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to be, and there'll be uh, like a huge percent of the population that if you told that story to, dude, you're a pussy, you didn't do this, your kids are not learning this, no, no, no. And, and the reality is that's, that's not right either, obviously. And you've got to be, you know, true. It's like I like to say, to thine own self, be true. I think, you know, I, I'm an original. I'm the first guy that ever said that. You've got to be authentic. That was a Shakespearean joke, right? Um, Totally over my head. Sorry. So no, but you, you, maybe my mom will get it when she listens to the show. Yeah, I doubt it though. I want to. I want to say something really important. Important here that I that I'm noticing for anyone who's listening. Don't. The only reason why Tony uses um, fighting these situations, my opinion, not Tony's, is because he really, really is a fear expert, and we keep hearing these stories or these examples of fear through a lens that he's put over this expertise that manifests in the vernacular and syntax of, of fighting and self-defense and situations that could, that could hurt you. But if you want to know about fear, why aren't you writing a book? Why haven't you asked this girl to marry you? Why? I mean, it's, it's all there and it's so easily translatable. Now, I don't know this about Tony, but I think, think he's chosen life-threatening situations for two reasons one he started taking taekwondo when he was 13 but also what bigger fear is there in life than losing your life so Mm. if you can understand fear at that level then from there it's applicable anywhere but do not think for a second that you shouldn't look up tony blauer and look up at his stuff because hey you're not you're you're not into self-defense you're not worried about getting beat up this shit is like applicable everywhere so I just I just wanted to make yeah, sure I no, emphasize that, that. That's 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 deep and profound and ironic. I would say back in the eighties, uh, I would I would tell people, you know, I had a friend of mine who's an actor uh, named Rick, and he's going so nervous about this audition. And I'd say Rick, and he had trained with me. I said, Rick, is there any chance at this audition that the uh, that the director is going to pull out a gun and shoot you in the face at the audition? He goes, No. I go, So you've you've trained with me. Are you prepared to defend yourself if somebody tried to fuck you up? Yeah. You don't know if you're going to win or lose, but you're prepared to fight. Right. You, so you need to manage your fear first. And then, then the fight happens. But at least you're in the fight. And uh, he goes, right. I go, so there's no chance the guy's going to shoot you, right? He goes, so go, go do the audition. You're not going to get killed on this audition, right? Right, right. And, and I would say that to people like, like in anything else. So I use, I would tell people that the ability to protect yourself or a loved one is an arguably the single most important skill you could possess. Why? Because you get a stomach ache and go to the doctor, you get a toothache, go to the doctor, you, you know, your, your roof is leaking. You could YouTube how to fix your roof, but you're going to call a roofer, right? Right. Every problem in life, you got time to make a phone call. Siri, get me the number to write and, and you could do that. 
The only problem in life you don't even have time to dial 911 for is sudden violence. And sudden violence, right? And I just wrote about ironically what you said. I just wrote about this yesterday, uh, where I was on an airplane years ago, coming home, and a seat dumping beside me. This is like like when people read books and it wasn't in like a like a an iPad or something. So I had like three books on the empty seat. I had a uh, the disc the disc man <laughs> with a little. You guys, do you, do you remember that? Of course, Tony. I am the exact same age as the time you've been studying fear nice okay okay go on so you're disc man so, you're sitting so I'm, here, so I'm here like this and all of a sudden it's a, a red-eye flight i'm exhausted a red-eye flight and uh this flight attendant who's not working the flight comes running in she goes oh my god that's my seat she sits down i'm trying to take all my stuff it's like in front of me and she's like why are she goes i thought i was gonna miss the flight this isn't my hobby i didn't want to stay here i would have been here for two days i've been an awful and she's in her flight attendant suit and I'm sitting there, I got like torn jeans on and a t-shirt. And I'm like, oh my God, she's wired. She's going to talk to me all flight. I, I really want to sleep. So I'm just ignoring her, hoping that she goes, so obviously she points at her, her, her pin, her name. I'm a flight attendant. What do you do? And we're starting to taxi. And I say, uh, life insurance, thinking. Who the fuck wants to talk about life insurance? <laughs> right? Like this will this will stop the conversation. And she looks me up and down, and she goes, "She goes, you're not a life insurance salesman." And I go, "You're right. I'm a life extension insurance salesman." And as I said that, I'm like, uh, you know, thinking. She goes, "Life extension insurance. What is what is that?" I said, "I teach self defense." She goes, "Oh my god, I always wanted to learn how to defend myself." But I'm thinking, this is turning into a seminar. I want to go to sleep. She goes, uh, "Oh my god, I always wanted to learn how to defend myself." And I said, no, you didn't. And she goes, I beg your pardon. I said, I think what you meant, I said, people who always want to do things have done those things. I think what you meant to say is you always wanted to know how to never be near a situation where you might have to defend yourself. And you see her eyes doing this. And she goes, oh my God, yes. And 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 so I, I share that story. just popped in my head because I, like, I actually wrote it and posted it uh, last night. And it's like from, it was it was actually, I was, I was uh, uh, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you privately where I was coming back from. But the the uh, what's amazing about that is people see me because they go oh, self defense, knuckle dragger, like 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 spiting. I abhor violence. I fucking abhor violence, which is why I practice it. I I don't want to ever be in a situation where I don't know what to do. I, I, I sent at- you a video once of some violence, and you basically you. It's probably the only time in our relationship you've chastised me, but you're like, "Hey, man, I, like, easy." That's not that's not my favorite thing to see. I was like, "Oh, wow." Yeah, I don't. Like, I, you're like people send me this shit all day. I'm like, "Damn." <laughs> yeah, and, and I and I don't look at it. And I get videos that 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 don't go on the internet from some of the people, and I don't even look at them. I don't. I don't like. If you knew what I was, what at a cellular level, I don't want to see the fear in the victim's eyes i don't know what to do i'm scared fucking somebody help me and and that's that's horrible and i and so i've committed my whole life to to helping whoever i can and most importantly trying to share this information i can't do this myself so you know one of my biggest focuses is training other people how to do this but it's not how to do a block and a punch and it's not the physical stuff the the, you know, the mind navigates the body. If you don't manage your fear, you're not going to manage the fight. And I always tell people that I realized that in the 80s, I was doing Fight Club before there was Fight Club, the movie, 
right? In the 80s, for 13 years, we did scenario-based training. And I studied multiple assailant, you know, two on two, on two six on three, one-on-ones. Um, and I noticed that it, it, it was really simple. The people who managed their fear managed to fight. It didn't mean that they won the skirmish, but they were in the fight. And that impacted their self-esteem, their dignity, their healing, their resiliency, all of that. Uh, and people would come to us for cathartic reasons, you know, victims of sexual assault or violence or whatever. And it was just the therapy wasn't working. And this was this was very direct. Uh, I, I, I want to share something so profound about fear. And, I, you know, I tell people you can't be brave if you're not afraid. There's no such thing as courage or bravery without the presence of fear. If you're not afraid, let's go back to the skydiving story. If you're not afraid to skydive, it doesn't take any courage or bravery to jump in the airplane. You're just doing something, right? And so I remember when the guy said to me, what are you afraid? Like, aren't you Mr. Fear Management? And I said, I joke, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, uh, managing my fear, but not jumping the airplane. And he goes, ha, 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 funny. And the other guy's like, ha, 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 I'm exaggerating it, but I could tell. And I said, let me ask you a question. You're not afraid of jumping? He says, I fucking love it. I've got over 600 jumps. I go, well, anytime I can. I said, really? And no fear. He goes, no. I said, well, let me pack your fucking shoe for you today. And he leans <laughs> forward, he points at me, he goes, you're not coming anywhere near my shoe. And I go, did I just introduce some fear? If I change your ritual, do I introduce some fear? What happens, again, when we study, I said this way earlier in the beginning, when we study the elite X game, that like that elite warrior athlete, They've done this so long. It's either a calling, uh, uh, it's an inspiration, and or they've done it for so long. They won't ever define the physiological changes and the mental preparedness as fear unless they understand the importance of the semantics. I was on Mike Ritland's show, a a retired SEAL, very, very deep thinker, uh, uh, and it's a long form uh, show. Uh, much better interviewer than you and much more professional than you. But um, but that's neither here nor there. But we're there and, and you know, he's been in, in, in gunfights and we're talking about this. And I'm talking, I make this joke always that fear needs new management. And I go, well, I just want to talk about fear management. People are like, I don't have any fear. I'm okay. Like we don't want to appear vulnerable. And, and uh, uh, he says, I can remember standing outside a house with my team in a stack, right? And he goes, we knew every single person in the house was going to try and kill us. Everyone's going to try and kill us. And we had to go in that house anyways and do our job. And everyone, he says, if someone told you they weren't afraid in those moments, they're they're full of shit. But if you, if you ask that person in that moment, they wouldn't describe it as fear, right? And, and so it's, it's semantics. And this is what I want your audience to understand, that if you've got a stigma about the word fear, that's the joke I make, fear management needs new management. You know, if I said to you, hey, you want to manifest courage? You know, that might seem lame and everything, but you can't, you go, yeah, because you know what courage looks like whenever you see it. But if I said to you, Savon, what does courage feel like? You can't, you can't describe that. But if I said to you, describe fear, oh, physiology, vertical breathing, uh, uh, sweaty palms, uh, tunnel vision, uh, Self-doubt, self-doubt, uh, you know. Well, everyone knows what fear feels like, but very few people, even the person who acted courageously, 
doesn't know what it is because if it's true courage, they're just doing what they had to do. When you think of an interview of somebody who ran into a burning building, like a civilian, like just an average citizen ran in there, they go, you're a hero. You know, I just did what, what I hope somebody would have done for me or my family. Like, like nobody wants to, no one thinks I'm going to be courageous today. I hope like some fucking catastrophic event happens. You can't plan that. And so the magic of this theory or concept is that if you go, wait a minute, I'm afraid and I, my intuition is telling me what I know what to do. That's an act of bravery. That's an act of courage. And, and so, you know, people ask, well, how do you get good at this stuff? And you just, first you got to understand it, but you practice courage, you practice courage and self-awareness in the same way you might have a question or a thought or an idea and your heart starts to race a little bit. You go, man, I can't believe this is about to come over out of my mouth. You want to, to uh, uh, weigh and consider that's the self-awareness piece. Is this appropriate? Right? Am I just saying this to be contrarian, to be a shit disturber, to, to be clever? Or is this appropriate? Is this going to go deep? Um, and, and if you approach looking at fear that way, you will turn you will turn your relationship with fear around because listen i know i've been working with wait wait what do you what do you mean turn your relationship with fear around wait what do you mean by let me give you an example that you could plug it into so i benefit from this directly i am i've been interviewing people for for over 20 years i'm always always crazy anxious right before the interviews yeah. Like crazy, like five minutes leading into this. What's even worse is if someone's going to interview me, I fucking hate that. I, right. I just, I just want to run the other way. Um, and so, but, so, but soon as I'm here, like literally 30 seconds in, it's gone. Right. Um, so, 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 sorry, you said, what, what did you just say about fear that made me, that made me think that you Turn were saying around with it? Yeah, turn your relationship. Don't don't I not want to turn my relationship around with it? Isn't isn't there something good happening there? It, yeah, if you recognize that. But if let's say let's say there's a bunch of people here who want to start a blog or a podcast that aren't. Okay, I'll never be as good as Savon. I, I like I, I I I can't afford equipment. Whatever excuse they they come up with. If the fear is preventing you from self-actualization, then it's pejorative. It's a fucked up fear. If the fear is like, so Lawrence Olivier used to throw up before he'd go on stage, while he one of the greatest actors ever. Mike Tyson used to throw up, maybe still does, before each fight. But you would never, like in his heyday when he was a fucking ripping through the heavyweight division, and he'd walk out there with no shirt on, his black shoes, black, black pants, walk... If I say to you, that guy's fucking just threw up in the change room and he's so nervous, you go, you're full of shit, right? Um, when I started my garage gym, right? So I started that, that pivot to, to deal with shit. Uh, the first day I started my garage gym in March or April 1st, I'm standing outside. Now, my system that I, I developed holistically, organically, and I've been teaching now for for decades 40 plus years inarguably and i'm saying this tongue-in-cheek to make fun of myself i'm the best spear system instructor in the world i'm the founder in terms of content and information there's like i've forgotten more stuff than than people i've taught no right 
And again, I'm being tongue in cheek there. I'm not, not trying to be an asshole. The day I was walking out and a hundred people in a Zoom calls in Zoom sign up for my group to train directly with me remotely. I turned to Jesse and I go, holy shit, I cannot believe how much anxiety I have in my body. And she looks at me, she goes, why? It's a Zoom call. And I've been doing like WebEx and Zoom for, for over a decade, teaching already. She goes, why? You're like the best spear instructor in the world. Like, what the hell could you pop? I've done public use me. I've spoken, taught for decades. That type of fear is the type of fear of fucking let's go, high five fear. You're the type of fear you have. And that, that's why semantically, instead of using the word fear, this would be anticipation. This would be adrenaline, which are some of the byproducts of fear. Now, what I did just before when she said, why are you afraid? I stopped and I said, okay, do I have any false expectations appearing real here? Am I thinking this is going to? And what I realized, it was just in answering the question appealing. Well, I'm not afraid of teaching. I'm not afraid of talking. I'm not afraid to engage an audience. And, and, and you've done this with your videos. It's like, like, you've gotten really good at just talking to a camera. 20 years ago, if I said, you just talk to the camera, like that would have been, you said like, I'm doing drills on Zoom. Or if you said to me, like a year ago, I want you to I want you to teach the Range Rover drill and motion climate training on Zoom. I go, you can't do that. You need to be three-dimensionally with somebody where you can touch them. And now this week I was telling my team, I go, I almost like teaching on Zoom better than in, in person. I miss the energetic aura, but I'm much more succinct because I can't touch people and get distracted by the shiny ball going, hey, watch that over here. And oh no, good you guys see this. So I stay, I stay, you wouldn't, listening to this podcast, you wouldn't think I do stay focused, but, but the, the, uh, uh, but, but I do. So the, so the, so the idea here is when I, when I had a system, when I looked at what, what we, we have a map of the cycle of behavior and I'll, I'll send you a link to it. You can post the link to this. It's kind of like, it's just like a mind map of I'm in a scenario and I'm motivated and then suddenly I'm not. What are some of the things I need to think about? What are my expectations? What are my beliefs? What are my what are my neural associations? How's my brain linking up to 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 this? And when you start to do that, you take this generic malaise. This like, well, I don't feel good about this. And now, like like tomorrow, if you're doing a podcast and you get that same feeling and you remember this talk, you go, "This is anticipation of something fucking some some. If this is my type of danger." What am I going to say? What's going to happen? Is this going to suck? Is it going to be good? Am I going to go, hey, thanks for the podcast. And then when I get off, I'm never releasing that, right? Or I can't wait to release that. So that's that's like, you know, you're getting ready for a fight. You don't know if you're going to win or lose, but it's going to be this, this witty battle of, of, of jargon and nomenclature and shit like that. You, you, my wife asked me, why do you, I was telling her last night, it's like 1206. I'm like, fuck, I got to go to bed and like, I like I because like I'm just getting myself wound up for the podcast tomorrow and she goes why do you think that always happens to you and I said because you have an obligation to your guests mm -hmm. they're taking they're taking their time right to they're going to give you their time your shit better be like you better take that serious that's and that, and you better that's be Go ahead. No, but that's that's one part of it, man. Like that that onus and responsibility to be prepared, to be switched on, 
right. and stuff like that. But but there's other elements, uh, the positive part of your ego. Uh, when I say your ego, our ego. I, I wanted, when I did my first class, I wanted everyone to go, wow, I want to do this again. I wanted it to be that good. So it wasn't like resting on laurels. You know, there's a part of you that goes, I've because doing- you because but you want it to be that good because you don't want to embarrass yourself. It's not about you, right? You're not like, oh, I hope this is good so I can sell a thousand more. It's more in the moment, right? It's like, God, I hope this is good just so these people walk away happy, right? Having the self awareness, it's everything. It's everything, you know. Uh, and and why I say that is, what there's nothing wrong with wanting it to be good enough that that you want to sell a thousand of these, right? That, that puts pressure on you too as an entrepreneur. Right. And, okay. and so it's, you know, like depending on your, and that's why beliefs is one of the blocks that you ask yourself. Because if you, you know, if you have a belief that's like that money's bad and making money's bad, that's going to create fear if someone says, and we can make this much money. You know, it's like fear. And I said this earlier fear throttles, I didn't say this today, fear throttles everything we do from who we talk to to who we matter, from how much weight you lift to whether or not you defend yourself, from how much money you make to where you live. You know, fear, like, like, um, I remember, uh, shit, I just forgot his name, uh, famous motivational speaker. Uh, he asked a bunch of questions. He said, um, I just forgot his name. I'll try to, I'll try to remember while I'm talking, but he asked these four questions. He says, he says, if you didn't know where you lived and you were looking at every place in the world where you could live, where would you want to live? And why aren't you living? If you didn't know what you did and you looked at every job in the world and went, I want to fucking do that. Why aren't you doing that? Uh, and I can't remember the other one, but the last one, which is the most profound. It was, I've heard you say it before. I think age, if you looked uh, in the mirror, you didn't know how yeah, old you were. You didn't, yeah. If you, if you didn't know, if you looked in the mirror, you didn't know how old you were, you were how old did you think you were? Wayne Dwyer was the, was the guy's name. But those are fantastic. So if I, if I say to you, you know, man, I always wanted to do that job. Or I always wanted to learn how to do that. It's like that talk I said on the airplane. I was on to learn and defend myself. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. People, you know, you, you see someone who's 50 years old just shittily playing a fucking guitar. Shittily is not a word. And they're going, what are you doing? I was wanting to learn how to play guitar. Oh, and now you're learning. Good for you. Right? So, like, like you you got to do stuff. But um, the, you know, uh, we're all over the place here. Uh, but Tony. It, but it's fun. It's 8.07. I heard a bedroom door open. I have really? six pages of notes and we haven't challenge. touched. Listen. You bring any one of your kids, I will, no shit. You set up the fights. And I tell you, that's one of my most fun things, posting on those posts. Oh, thank you. It's one of the most flattering things to have Tony Blauer post. But but it's, but just the, for people who don't know, um, I'm always posting challenges. uh, So it's, 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 uh, it's funny. Was there any, before the house wakes up and everything goes crazy, was, yes. was, there, was there one or two really big questions you had to get out? Um, no, I can't do any of the big questions. You'll talk for another hour straight. I, I want to say two. Th- I want to say two things, and then I want to bring up one final thought that I want you to touch on. There are a lot of people I know in life, and a lot of people I like, and I like them in like different scenarios, right? I want to say that like you're the kind of person. If I was at a bar, ten drinks drunk, 
with my fly down, I would want to sit next to you. Or if I was at the most sober dinner with my parents and they were there, I'd want to sit next to you. I have always. Exactly. I don't know. The, the first one. Kind of me out, <laughs> I've always loved hanging out with you. And you are so such a um, non-judgmental, open, loving, caring person that I've always enjoyed your presence. Thank you. Man. Appreciate it. Yeah. That. Yeah. You're, you're, you're one of the coolest people I've ever met. Um, there's something you said there. Um, so, so I watch UFC every Saturday, like a fucking idiot. It's really the only thing I watch. I'm just addicted right. to it. I don't even know why the whole time I'm watching. I'm like, this is, this is gross. Like I seriously have those talks with myself, but, but right. I'm addicted. Um, it's like picking your nose. I'm just, it just, I do it even though it's gross. Weird. But you describe Mar there, I, I don't even know. Uh, I don't know what, what you call this topic. Sorry. But there's four, there's four categories in whatever this big topic is, and I'm sure you'll tell us in a second. There's martial arts is number one. Then there's combat sports, which is number two. By the way, sorry, it made me really nervous when Bedros was interviewing you that he didn't have notes. That, that, like, that was huh. giving me anxiety. Number <laughs> one, there's martial arts. Number two, there's combat sports. Number three, there's reality-based self-defense. That's yeah. like um, one of those suits where the guys wear the suits and they practice fighting each other, right? No. But no, okay. sometimes, sometimes reality-based self-defense is like all modern martial arts systems like Krav Maga and stuff like that, where their where their focus is on self-defense, not sport. Okay. Let me go through again. Martial arts, combat sports, number three, reality-based self-defense, and number four, violent encounters, sudden violence versus uh, sudden violence, the unknown. And then you kind of go into explain that sudden violence versus consented violence. And those first three are consented violence. Right. And that fourth one is sudden violence. And then I was like that when I heard that, I'm like, Oh shit, I've known Tony for 10 years and I've always just made up some bullshit in my head of what I thought the spear was, but that hit me like a, a ton of bricks. Yeah. So you and know, that's what you teach, right? You you teach you teach yeah. a, a level of uh, awareness and how to to hopefully overcome a situation where number four happens, not number one, two, and three. The irony is, and no one should no one should. Uh, <laughs> the irony is, and this is one of my questions: is, is was to question you because I you did martial arts thirty to forty private lessons a week. You took them from the age of 20 to 25 and you started your martial arts career at the age of 13 doing taekwondo. So it's kind of funny. You, you have this line about demystifying, um, the practice. Um, but yet you trained like a fanatic to get there. Yeah. And so I, so that the, the private lessons was what I was teaching. I was okay. In, oh, okay. Dur during that period, you know, I, I studied fanatically. Um, you know, I got, I got jumped by two guys in 1972 ish, 73. Uh, by by two guys and you, you uh, were 12 years old at the time but, yeah and when i went home my dad says you're gonna learn martial arts the taekwondo school had just opened uh about a mile away you know a couple miles away from the house and i would either get a lift there from my mom or i'd walk there and it was for for a kid who as a wrestler as a skier as a gymnast but i was afraid of everything i go to the practice like i said but i was afraid of everything so Learning martial arts felt like, even though I was standing in line going key eye and doing this and learning kicks, I felt like this is the holy grail. This is what's going to help me overcome my fear. And uh, um, and then I started actually 
uh, teaching in 1977. I, I, was, I was such a fanatic. I mean, I would, uh, I, I had a, a what's called a Mackie Ward. It's a, it's a striking pad. Uh, I would have it under my bed. Like before I would get up in the morning at 13 years old, 14 years old, 15, I would slide her to bed and start working on strengthening my knuckles. I'd roll out of bed. I would, I would be doing handstand push On the way to the bathroom, I'm throwing freaking kicks and like I was a fanatic. Um, and, uh, but I, I, I worked through, I don't remember what your question was, but the, uh, oh, the, the, the four categories. So when in 1980, one of my students, I was training, I was training this kid Mitchell to defend himself. His dad was one of my dad's uh, closest uh, friends. And he knew I was a martial art fanatic. And he says to me, uh, he's, he comes to me, I'm in the back. Uh, it was 1979, 1980, I think it was 80. And Rocky had already released, that was 1976. And we would get these big boxes in at my dad's uh, warehouse. And when we would empty them, I would punch them and I beat them up like Stallone hitting sides of beef. They were thick, thick. You could like, I could jump back kicks into them and they were so big. It was like side, and I would do. And one day I turn around and this guy Joey is standing there, going, "I see Tony, you're getting good." And he asked me, "Would you teach my son?" It's 1980, and I said, "Yeah, what's going on?" He said, "Bully problem at school, but I don't want him to be, you know." And he he pays me to do this, and I start teaching Mitchell. Three months later, Mitchell gets into a fight and gets dropped. The guy drops him with a left hook, and and. Uh, He's debriefing. He's telling me what happened. He's furious. And I said, well, why did you, you know, I've just been training you for three months on how to box at a clinch, how to, how did like, what I was teaching was wrestling. It was 1980. This is like 13 years before the first UFC. And I was, because of my wrestling background, my Taekwondo background, and I had a fascination with boxing. I'd already started uh, boxing. I was teaching boxing, kicking, and wrestling. So it was like a precursor to MMA. And there were a lot of guys doing that. I'm not saying I, I you know. That I invented MMA. There's going to be one asshole listening to this going, "Oh, Tony took credit for him." No, there are lots of guys, <laughs> right? And so, my point being here is, I said to Mitchell, "Why didn't you do wax on, wax off?" And I didn't say that because Karate Kid hadn't been released yet. But meaning, I'm going. He hit you with a left hook. Why didn't you slip it? Why didn't you parry it? Why didn't? And he looks at me, and he's 15. He goes, he goes, um. He says, well, I grabbed the kid by the shirt because the kid had shoved him and Mitchell had grabbed him and said, you know, fucking leave me alone. Just that emotional moment. He said, I grabbed him by the shirt and I had my school books in my other hand. So could you imagine if you had to box me, Savon, and I said, hold on to my shirt and hold on to some books. How soon till I punch you in the face? Like right away, right? And so, so here's the guy like this. The guy goes, you know, boom, fucking hits and drops Mitchell. In that moment, and I, I, I've told the story a million times. It was like the God of self-defense hit me with a lightning bolt. And I went, oh, my God, we teach self-defense wrong. It was 1980. I was 20 years old. And I said, are those your books? He goes, what? I said, are those your books from school? He goes, yeah. I said, grab them and grab me and show me how he grabbed you. And I started for 15 minutes reverse engineering. I had him grab me. I had him grab. I started, you know, moving and, and realizing if you're holding on to someone, you're holding books and someone goes to hit you, your body flinches. There's a micro contraction. You can't drop the books. You can't even let go of the shirt. Now, I, I explain it a lot more elegantly, and I explain the neurotransmitter myelinization factor and the starter flinch and the cross extensor and all this brain science shit now, decades later. But back then, it was like, I know what we need to do. All self-defense must be taught through the lens of what's the scenario. And we must reverse engineer 
ATM, getting out of a car, opening a door, everything we did in class was then. That replicates a violent encounter. When So now we come back fast forward to the four categories for decades now. And I'm talking about I could be with an elite tier one unit or talking to a guy in a Starbucks. Everyone's a fucking expert, but everyone, you like, nobody understands the unconscious bias because it's unconscious. If you ask a boxer how to solve a problem, he's going to tell you with my hands. If you ask a martial, like a Taekwondo guy, which is predominantly a kicking art, how do you solve this problem? He's going to tell you with his feet, right? The grappler is going to say, I'm going to take it to the guy. The jiu-jitsu guys, we develop an unconscious bias, but nobody's asking, does my unconscious bias, my passion, my love for this style of martial art, does that compromise my safety? I just wrote something recently. Does your, can your love of martial arts make you, put you in more danger? Because what it does is it, is it, is it, it, it impacts your true situational awareness, Savan. Because what your brain is looking to do, your brain is like a hard drive always trying to predict the future. Right now, while we're talking, you're hearing sounds in the background and you're thinking, even though you're trying to listen to me, how long is he going to talk for? Because the kids are going to come in here soon. I've got to go do this. Haley's going to get this. You nailed it. Right? And you're distracted by that because your brain, without you even having to do anything, is trying to predict the future. So if all you know to do is double leg or round kick or like I always make the joke, Everyone learns how to get out of the headlock. Well, if you do your 10,000 reps of practicing the counter for the headlock, you didn't realize that you did 10,001 reps of putting yourself in a headlock. And so another, another fascinating topic, which could be a whole podcast that you mentioned. Yeah. Every well, time you it, practice self-defense, you're also practicing getting in that fucking right, situation. Let, let happen. Yeah. So if I grab a gun, I stick it in your face to practice the gun disarm. You're training your brain to let the gun come towards you so you can do the move. And this might seem ludicrous to anybody who listening to your does jujitsu, taekwondo, they go, no, that's stupid. But the reality is this is evidence-based and it's neuroscience-based. It's not my opinion. I just happen to be the, they don't shoot the messenger. I have to Anyone who thinks it's bullshit, can, it, all they have to do is open up their self-awareness, not even their self-awareness. They just need to be more video. aware. You can, see, you can see it happen nonstop everywhere oh, oh, around you. People's oh. biases. Once you, once you know, understand what Tony's saying, you'll see it everywhere. Listen. I love martial arts. I've been in martial arts all, all, all my life. I've got uh, hundreds of affiliates around the world. They didn't come to me like, like, like they were just born and now I'm coddling them and going, I'm going to teach you spear. Every single person who teaches my system comes from jujitsu, Krav Maga, Taekwondo, boxing, MMA, law enforcement. And they realize what's missing from their practice is a way to reverse engineer scenarios and teach their clients how to manage fear. Because if you don't manage the fear, you don't manage the fight. You don't get to the access. Listen, when a, a violent encounter happens, your reactive brain hijacks executive function and cognitive thinking. And that's where we talk about, we do these blocks for law enforcement world called evidence-based scenario training. And we're using dashboard video and CCTVs going with, here are trained people not doing what they were trained to do. How is that possible? And, and what we explain is the neuroscience in decision-making and, and that you can't access your conflict. If I ask you, so the unconscious bias is this. If I say to somebody, how would you solve this problem? So if I ask you, how would you solve this problem? Your brain goes, da, 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 da. but in the moment, if that problem happens, if the fear loop hijacks you, you're going, fuck, I'm running out of time. What am I going to do? Well, that's, that's messing with you. That's messing with your, your coordination, your complex motor skill, your, your, your confidence. But to answer as, as succinctly as I can, why I created the categories is because 
people, people, I always say, be careful what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. Be careful what you practice, you might get good at the wrong thing. And people thought I was criticizing their arts, but what I was talking about was neuroscience. That, that, that in a high stress situation, you're going to default to what you've done the most of. And so if three guys jump out of a car in a road rage incident, and all you've done is double leg the guy in front of you, what you should have done here is got back in your car and gotten the fuck out of there or maybe run because it's three guys, right? And next thing you know, you're, you're on the ground and there's two people kicking the shit at you because you weren't situationally aware. And I was telling you this, your self-awareness and your unconscious bias are working together and that compromises or informs your practical situational awareness. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Like nobody, nobody thinks at, in that way because we fall in love. We romanticize our, our martial arts. And I say this one more time. I love martial arts. I love, you know, but I don't confuse the practice of complex motor skills in category one, traditional martial arts, very ritualized, very form, you know, uh, uh, very formula driven, very cooperative, very choreographed. Does that mean, listen, there was a guy named Masayama who was a founder of uh, Kyukushinkai uh, martial arts, a very famous hard style martial art. One of his demos he did was to kill a bull with a reverse punch. And I would talk about it sometimes at my, when I would be talking, I'd go, Masayama, who knows him? Yeah. What's the most famous story of a Masayama? It's legendary. He killed a bull with a reverse punch. And that's the legend. So if you want to learn Kyukushinkai, fuck yeah. I go, do you know that that bull was sedated and held by two people? Oh, like it wasn't a bull charging him one day when he was like, you know, out, you know, walking with his family. It's a bull, fuck, and they get him thrown, right? That would have been impressive. I go, but listen, do you, uh, the fact that he was a big fucking huge guy, his hands were bigger than your head, Savant. Uh, he was a pro wrestler. He was a lifelong martial artist. The bull was slated for, for slaughter. It was sedated. And it was a demo, crazy. Some people were like horrified. I go, the fact that it was so controlled means it wasn't a real fight, but it became a, a, like a legendary thing surrounding this art. But it wasn't a transferable skill. I could train with him. I'm not going to do it, but here's the thing. So people are like, think I'm knocking Masayama had disrespectful. I go, no, you're missing the point. One is that wasn't a real fight. There was no need to manage fear. It wasn't a moving target. And I still don't want to fight a guy that can kill a bull with a punch. Right, I, right, like, right, right. Like, so I can look at somebody and go, that's a, every one of those martial arts are great athletes. I can look at the best jiu-jitsu. I love jiu-jitsu, chest with muscles at 100 miles an hour. That's amazing, that's amazing, amazing. But is that what you want to do with three guys, uh, you know, in a, in a peaceful uh, in a peaceful protest with, with skateboards, you know, hitting you over the head? Is that where you want to be right now? Yeah. And, and, and so, that's what you, that's what you teach. Should you right. use your karate? Should you use your track and field expertise? Should you use your jujitsu? Right. Should and, you? Why why aren't you aware of which, why and and why aren't you aware that you have a choice of which one to right. use? We've redefined self defense. Uh, that where if you Google self defense in the dictionary, it'll say the paraphrasing the act of protecting your property or your life. It's a physical act. It doesn't even include situational awareness in, in Merriam Webster's version. So we created a. a, a Several years ago, a, a, uh, a definition that says the decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. 
to have the courage like you did on the beach. I don't feel like danger is imminent, but I got to be ready, right? The decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. And that changes your paradigm, right? Um, in, in- I, when, I, when I looked up um, the definition of self-defense, um, it said, how, I, I asked Siri, how the fuck would I know? Ask Tony Blower. That's what she said, just so you know. Siri is, is very smart. Though. But the, uh, um, listen, I created the categories to have conversations with people where it would help them identify and improve their self-awareness, where they would realize, you know, category one, hey, I'm a martial artist. And, and if I ask, here's the thing. If I ask a guy who's a street vendor selling fucking shitty, dirty food, I go, I call him up. I go, dude, I'm starving. Is your food good? He's going to say, yeah. And if I call up, you know, French Laundry or Morton's or or some famous steakhouse and I go, hey, is your food good? The guy's going to go, yeah. Like everyone thinks their food is good and what they're going to serve you is good. It doesn't have to be malicious. But so if I ask somebody who's a traditional martial artist who's never studied fear management or scenarios or anything like that, you know, does, does your does your Tai Chi work in self-defense? They're going to go, of course. Because there's a version, there's a there's a there's a narrative that it does. And if you ask an MMA guy or somebody that was a kickboxer, their idea is like, yeah, let me let me back kick you in the head. I knock the guy out. So everything works. But there's 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 a whole other side to dealing with a violent encounter than just you know does does that elbow or that punch work. Category four. Category four violent encounters. Tony, in four minutes, I'll be driving in a minivan, taking my kids to jujitsu. Go do that. Listen, you set up that fight. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll actually fight all three of your kids right now. Um, thank you for your time. Every day that you get older, my kids get stronger. So the longer I can put off that fight, I know you're, the you're odds are me. my favorite. I'll be in. A, they'll come in. They're like twenty five. I'm in an old person's home. You know, and they're like, you, I heard you, you might, my, my dad showed me all these texts, Flower, and I'm like, I don't remember your dad. I'm going to call you later on today and tell you something that we have in common. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have one thing in common. I just realized yesterday, listening to one of your interviews. And you don't want to talk about it. Okay. No, 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 no. The world's not ready to know. Okay. Dude, this was fun. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for getting up so early. And you have no, you have no reason to 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 be fearful before that. That's just that your anticipation, your excitement, because this is where you thrive, man. Thank you. I enjoy the fear. It's yeah. funny. I made I made a post about it last night, and I got tons of advice. I was like, oh man. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but that's the fear management needs to management because the word yes. stigmatizes people. If you said, I enjoy the the rush and the buzz and the energy. And the 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 uh, the light anxiety before I'm about to perform, people go, oh, that sounds weird, but okay, good. You know, Love it's you. it's a show. It's your show. What's yeah, the name of the show. show? What's the name of the show, by the way? I, I gave it a humble name, the Savon Podcast. Yeah, so their show, there's just supposed to show you exactly right, the Savon. Okay, man. Peace out. Bye. Thank you. You look great, by the way. That's a good angle for you. Keep using that lighting. (laughs) Thanks, man. Okay. Bye.